A few verses from Psalm 95. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. It's a familiar psalm. And so, sometimes when we read texts like this, the words just kind of glide by. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are His also, the sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands form the dry land. Let us come and worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Okay, this is a, uh, this is a song uh, or a hymn that uh, was sung in the temple. And uh, you, you get the idea of this when the uh, exhortation is, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. And uh, how the Old Testament people of God came uh, before the presence of God was to go up to the temple, uh, which was the special dwelling place of God, and there they would meet with him. And uh, of course, this is uh, part of the genius of New Testament worship that uh, God calls us to meet with Him and to enter into His uh, special and gracious presence. So, uh, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. You're good and gracious to us all together. We thank you that uh, in this you. Uh, teach us, you guide us, and we thank you that in your word is found uh, everything that pertains to life and godliness. And uh, we desire to uh, live lives that are uh, right and pleasing before you, and we desire to live godly lives. And so we pray, Father, that more and more you will conform us to that which is written in Your Word. Bless us to this end, we pray, and as we are together this morning for a short time, we ask that You'll bless us to this end. Hear us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, we began our lessons with with the idea that uh, God uh, directs our worship. And uh, uh, the principle, which is, uh, I'll, I'll grant this, the principle, which is an abstract principle, is that uh, whatever is not commanded in Scripture with regard to worship, whatever is not commanded in worship is forbidden. And uh, this comes out of the uh, second commandment. If you look in the catechism, uh, what is forbidden in the second commandment? Uh, the second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by idols 
or in any other way not commanded in His Word. See, there it is. There's the, there's the principle. All right? uh, so we, we started with that. And, uh, uh, and next I went to the idea uh, that uh, we can affirm this principle, and I think, I think we do affirm this principle, uh, by the fact that worship is an entering into God's presence and an entering into heaven. Now, uh, what I mean by uh, entering into heaven, I use the analogy of the uh, uh, embassy. Uh, when you go to an embassy, uh, you get to partake of the meals of the homeland, you dress in the clothes from the homeland, you talk in the language of the homeland, uh, and these kind of things. Although you're not in the homeland. Uh, you'd like to go to the homeland because there's uh, more there for you. Uh, with regard to the homeland. And uh, the church is an embassy of heaven. So when we come into the presence of God and we uh, are together as God's people, uh, we, we are collected together as an embassy of heaven. And uh, we are, as uh, the Bible tells us, a special dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And we enter into uh, God's presence. And uh, then... Uh, I went to the idea that, uh, well, entering into God's presence, see, it's, it's, it's uh, easy for us to understand that entering into God's presence and entering into heaven is, is governed by God. God tells us how we are to enter into His presence and enter into heaven. And uh, so the logic of it would be that uh, God therefore uh, uh, prescribes how we worship. So we're back to this, uh, what we call this regulative uh, principle. And uh, then, uh, then I had a little uh, timeline on, on uh, the whiteboard over here, and, and last week I, I gave you a, a diagram uh, with regard to the timeline that over a period of time, God changed uh, the standards of worship. And uh, he, he did this for, for particular reasons. God, God does things because... Uh, he has a reason <laughs> for these things. He doesn't do these things willy-nilly. And sometimes we, when we come to worship, we have the idea that we can do things willy-nilly. It's all right. But God prescribes how we worship. And when we come to the time of David, by the prophets and by the command of God, psalmody was added to worship. In the tabernacle. The tabernacle came earlier in the time of Moses. Well, when the tabernacle was erected, there was a change, obviously, in, in uh, the worship of God's people. They didn't have the tabernacle prior to that. And then uh, psalmody and uh, instrumental music was added to uh, uh, worship. And then uh, the, uh, the tent that traveled around gave way to a, a temple, which was in a particular spot. And I'd encourage you to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and read Deuteronomy chapter 12 because in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God says to Moses, when the people come to the place of my choosing, they will worship there. And it turns out this is the, this is the place of the temple. And so God, all along, God has a rationale. And then when Christ comes along, of course, uh, things uh, dramatically change once again. 
And uh, I made reference to the fact that uh, last week that that uh, the temple gave way to New Testament worship and that uh, uh, the temple was destroyed. And this there was rationale for this uh, because uh, the kind of worship that took place in the temple was not the kind of worship that we are to perform in the New Testament era. And uh, this this uh, uh, not only applies to instruments, but uh, as I was thinking it through a little bit more, uh, have you noticed? Have you noticed uh, that uh, our ministers don't wear robes? See, why is that? That would be a throwback to the Old Testament priesthood. See, have you noticed? Did you notice that uh, that uh, we don't have an altar in the? Uh, uh, worship area with fire on the altar, right? Which would be candles. See, we don't we don't do that. Why would that be? Because uh, uh, that's a, that would be a throwback to the Old Testament. Uh, that idea. Uh, so uh, a, a lot of these things that we do not do, you see, are throwbacks to uh, the Old Testament, and uh, we're in the New Testament now. Hello. <laughs> uh, an amazing fact. And uh, as I uh, sought to point out, uh, we are responsible for the standards of worship that God gives to us in the era in which we live. That's part of the idea. And uh, so we're not in heaven yet. And uh, we barely know what uh, the life to come is about, uh, except for some... Uh, snippets that are given to us in the book of Revelation, which is full of pictures and symbols and all these kinds of things. And so we barely know what this worship in heaven is all about, except that we do know from the pictures that are given to us, we're going to be gathered around the throne of God in a great assembly, lifting our voices before the throne and giving praise to the great God of heaven with myriads and myriads of saved people and angels. What a time that's going to be. What a time that is going to be. And part of the idea of the gathered church is that we should have a taste, a foretaste of heaven. That's part of the idea. Okay. So, when we come to worship, we are to enter into God's presence. Now, the other thing that I've been seeking to emphasize is the fact that the analogy that the Apostle Paul draws with the Old Testament is the temple. And uh, I use 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 16. We are the temple of the living God. That's the analogy that the Bible draws. And since that's the analogy that the Bible draws, this is the analogy that you and I should draw. We should not uh, look at other things in the Old Testament to draw uh, uh, analogies for worship. 
It's, it's the temple. The pattern uh, for worship comes from the temple. And uh, on, on the whiteboard on uh, your left, I have uh, an order of worship. This is not the order of worship we use. Uh, in fact, this is uh, pretty close to the order of worship that uh, the Committee on Worship uh, for the uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church a few years ago uh, uh, put out and recommended uh, to the churches. Uh, so, uh, I've given you an order of worship here. And at the end of class last week, I uh, indicated that uh, not only uh, is the temple the pattern of worship, but when we think about uh, the pattern of worship and entering into God's presence, the temple gives us hints as to how we enter into His presence. And so when the people of God would come uh, uh, to the temple, the first thing they would encounter in the temple is the altar of burnt offering, uh, which meant that they had to have a sacrifice for their sin. So entering into the presence of God meant that they needed to, uh, there needed to be an offering for sin to pay the penalty due to them for their sin. And of course, this foreshadows Christ who pays the penalty due to us for our sin. And the next thing they would uh, encounter was a laver full of water. It was a bath. Not that you get into. (laughs) Uh, But uh, from which water was taken uh, for washing. And uh, the next thing you would encounter was uh, this uh, washing indicating that uh, we not only had to have the penalty for our uh, sins, Paid, but we needed to be cleansed internally. We needed to be washed, right? This would be the idea. Uh, we, our consciences needed to be cleansed from dead works to serve uh, the living God. And so then uh, the priests would, would get to go into the uh, holy place, which was next, and... Uh, as we've said repeatedly, in the holy place, on the left was the candelabra, and on the right was the table of showbread, and right in front was uh, the uh, altar of incense. And this is where prayers were offered before God. And incense was put on the altar of incense, and, and uh, the priests would go in morning and evening, trim the lamps. And uh, on the Sabbath, the priests would go in, and, and uh, they would uh, partake of the uh, uh, showbread, the table, and uh, new uh, loaves of showbread, 12 loaves of bread would be placed on the, on the table and uh, they would offer uh, incense and the incense would, would rise uh, portraying the prayers of the people uh, offered uh, in conjunction with the priest. And uh, uh, you, you can think about Christ interceding for us uh, w- with this picture. And then once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place to, uh, on the Day of Atonement. Uh, but you see, there's, there's a logic to... Uh, this is what I was uh, seeking to, to say last week. There's a logic to our approach to God. It's not willy-nilly again. Uh, there is a logic to our approach to God. Now, it turns out <clears throat> that... The bulk of these, it's kind of striking, the bulk of these elements of worship 
that we find in our order of worship, and not all, all churches don't uh, ha- have an order of worship that's, that's the same, but the, the bulk of the uh, elements of worship actually come from the temple rather than the synagogue. Okay? Uh, the synagogue was uh, the teaching institution in uh, the Old Testament. Now, uh, uh, turn with me, if you have your Bible there, turn with me to uh, Leviticus chapter 23 and uh, the the first uh, three verses. Uh, I I point this out that uh, generally speaking, when you talk to people, uh, uh, folks would say, even scholars will say this, well, that New Testament worship is patterned after worship in the synagogue. Not really. Not really. So, we need to examine this just a little bit. What was the genius of the synagogue? Leviticus 23, The Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times you shall... Uh, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. So Leviticus 23 is outlining uh, the the particular times when the people were to come together. Uh, In convocations. That means they would just get together uh, for for worship. These were holy times. Uh, uh, My appointed times. See, these are... These are appointed times by God. And what's the first appointed time? Uh, Verse 3, For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a, a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. The The first holy convocation is the Sabbath for the people of God to come together on the Sabbath. Well, how did they come together? Synagogue. (laughs) That's what the word synagogue means. A gathering together. That's simply what it means. That's the idea of the synagogue. Now, you know, I think most of you realize this is the case, that what happened to the Levites was they were sprinkled all around the land. Right? They didn't have a, a parcel of land which was given to them. They were sprinkled all over the land. And what was their task? Their task was teaching. This was their task. And when Israel, when Israel fell on hard times, part of the problem was that these Levites who were teaching priests didn't do their job. Uh, you can see this in Second uh, Chronicles fifteen three. Second Chronicles I'm usually the last person to get there. I never would win a sword drill. Second uh, Chronicles 15, uh, 
chapter 3, uh, 15, verse 3. For many days Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. Here, here was an amazing thing. See, the Levites, this is the teaching priest. This, this was the Levite. And uh, when the Levites weren't doing their job, what was the problem? The people wound up without the Word of God and the people wound up without God Himself then. This, this is what happened. And you, you can understand that from uh, our position today in the world. Uh, churches that don't faithfully preach the Word of God, the people are left without whom? Without God. And they have no hope because they are without God in this world. It's a, it's a terrible thing. And uh, th- this is what happens. And so the, the synagogue, as it turns out, uh, was... Uh, a teaching institution. That was the idea of the synagogue. And contrary to popular belief, there was no singing in the synagogue. Now, uh, you, can, you can look up uh, lots of books where uh, the worship in the synagogue will be discussed, and uh, they'll talk about singing in the synagogue. Uh, but historically... Uh, in actuality, there was, there was no singing in the synagogue. And uh, I'll go with Alfred Edersheim here, who uh, uh, was Jewish and uh, understood the Jewish heritage. He's not the only one who, who says this, uh, but uh, Edersheim is very forthright. No singing in the synagogue. Okay? And so there were no... Uh, there was no singing and there were no instruments in the synagogue. The synagogue was a teaching institution. That's, that was the genius of the synagogue. Uh, uh, some of you know uh, the Old Testament uh, professor at uh, RPTS, uh, C.J. Williams. And uh, Professor Williams uh, uh, did his Ph.D. work at an Orthodox Jewish university. And uh, it's fascinating to talk to him about <laughs> his experience there. And uh, one of the things that he says, the Orthodox Jews are, are conservative uh, uh, Jews, all right? And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Professor Williams uh, comes back from his experience at, the, at this Orthodox Jewish institution is that his professors... Uh, would tell him, no, 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 no instruments in the synagogue. No. Instruments were for the temple. It's very, very striking. This is, this is the way of the Bible, of the Old Testament. And this is what we should understand. So, what it comes down to is that the elements of preaching and uh, prayer and benedictions uh, come from the synagogue. And uh, often, well, the, the synagogue service would be uh, something like this. The synagogue service would start out with a number of uh, blessings or benedictions. And uh, 
the blessings that you find at the beginning of Paul's epistles, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, those kind of blessings are similar to the kinds of blessings that were pronounced at the beginning of synagogue services. There are connections here. All of these things don't happen in a vacuum, as it were. There's a rationale behind these things. And then there was reading of the Scriptures in the synagogue. And then there were exhortations in the synagogue. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, Uh, Paul's in the synagogue, Acts 13, uh, 14 and 15. Well, let's start with uh, verse 13, Uh, Acts 13, 13. Now, Paul and his companions put out uh, uh, to sea from Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia, But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived in Pisidia, Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So they come into the synagogue. So what happens in the synagogue? Uh, After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials... Uh, sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So the the synagogue official looks out into the group of people that are there at the synagogue. Oh, I see that man. And what does he see? He sees the Apostle Paul garbed in a robe that indicates... He's a rabbi. He's a teacher of the law. Well, we know this is the case. And he recognizes that this is the case. So he goes back and he says, do you have a word for the people? And so Paul takes that opportunity then to speak in the synagogue. So this was the idea of the synagogue. It was the place of teaching. Now, uh, let, let me show you another uh, connection, I think, that, uh, that's striking uh, here. It's in uh, Hebrews, the last chapter. Uh, verse 22. W- what happened when... Uh, Paul was in the synagogue. See, the synagogue official came to the Apostle Paul and, and said, do you have a word of exhortation for the people? Right. That, uh, this word exhortation was uh, pretty much a technical term for a synagogue sermon or homily. Right. That was the idea. Now, now look at uh, uh, Hebrews uh, fifteen twenty-two. See what the writer to the Hebrews says. 
But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. I love that. I've written to you briefly. <laughs> Just giving you a brief word here, so pay attention. But, but notice how the writer to the Hebrews characterizes what he has to say. An exhortation. And uh, when, you, when you read uh, a number of the commentaries, they'll refer to the fact that uh, it could very well be that the writer to the Hebrews is patterning uh, what he does in, in his letter here after a synagogue sermon or homily. That this is what it is. It's a synagogue sermon. This is the type of thing that uh, is going on here. All right. Uh, so, uh, uh, one of the reasons I'm, I'm uh, giving this to you is none of these things happen in a vacuum. And, and there, there uh, is always background here. So when you get into an elevator, there's background music. <laughs> in life, there's always background. In the Bible, there's always background. And uh, th- this, is, this is part of the background. Okay, so that's the synagogue. Now, in the temple, here's what happened in the temple. In the temple, after David inaugurated the singing of psalms and the use of instruments, there were Levitical choirs that sang in the temple. And... Uh, they would gather uh, just inside uh, the temple uh, in front of the altar. Okay? That, that was their station. And uh, David, in his inauguration of instrumentations, added to the two silver trumpets. You remember this. Uh, Moses... Uh, God commissioned through Moses uh, the the uh, making of two silver trumpets uh, that were used as announcements, and uh, they were used for announcements to gather the people. They were used for announcements to uh, uh, gather the people for war. Uh, they were used for a number of reasons. One of the things that they were used for uh, was as announcements to announce the sacrifice. And they were blown over the sacrifice to announce that the sacrifices were going to take place. This would be morning and evening. And so the people would hear the trumpet sounds. And they would know that the sacrifices were going to take place. The trumpets were not instruments of accompaniment. <laughs> I mean, they they just weren't. Uh, they were simply announcements. Uh, uh, the blowing of the trumpet. Uh, the other instrument that uh, that David, uh, well, I shouldn't say the other. The the, the trumpets came through Moses. Uh, David uh, had symbols, and it could be that uh, the symbols. Uh, that David talks about are actually great big symbols that were hung 
and uh, amount to a gong. Okay? <laughs> uh, you can think of the gong show. Bong. <laughs> this would be the idea. Uh, probably not. Probably not the kind of symbols that we're used to. See, percussion instruments in a modern band or orchestra. Where the, uh, where, uh, the percussionist pretty much keeps time uh, often with the symbols, using the symbols. The, the, the symbols uh, were utilized uh, when the priest gave the sing- signal the symbols were clashed and the sacrifice was to begin. All right? And so the symbols also were not instruments of accompaniment in the temple. They were heard and uh, the sacrifice uh, would begin. So now we go back to the choir. Uh, the Levites also had harps. And uh, these were not harps that uh, uh, David went out and bought on the market uh, in Jerusalem. So he didn't go to the music store and just buy some harps. <laughs> these were harps uh, that uh, the Scripture tells us were made by David. Okay? Especially for Worship in the temple. This was the idea. And the harps now, when the symbol, the symbol was clashed, when the high priest gave the signal and the symbol was clashed, and the sacrifice began, the Levitical choirs would begin to sing. So the Levitical choir sang with the sacrifice. That was the idea. The the singing accompanied the sacrifice. And uh, the harps now uh, did accompany the singing. They They were instruments of accompaniment. And when the sacrifice was over, the singing stopped and the harp stopped playing. So, uh, we can look at another text uh, along this line. Second Chronicles. This is, this is, uh, Second Chronicles 29. See if I can find it. Uh, let's see. Uh, l- l- let's read. Uh, in uh, Leviticus twenty nine, uh, verses twenty five and following. He then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres, according to the command of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet, for the command was from the Lord through his prophets. Say, why did they do all of this? It was by command of God. That's why they did it. 
Whatever is not commanded is forbidden. The Levites stood with the musical instruments of David uh, and the priests with the trumpets. See, the priests, this would be the priests that, that, that blew the two trumpets. Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar. Uh, when the uh, burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. All right, follow? See, see what's happening? While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the burnt offering was over, all this stopped. Uh, so uh, the choir sang and they accompanied the sacrifice. And when the sacrifice was over, the singing stopped. All of, the, all of this is of a piece. Is part of the idea. This is part of what we should understand. Now, the other the other facet of it is that people the people could gather outside in the temple court and listen to the to the choir singing, and they could sing along with the choir. They could enter into the worship of God from from this position outside of the temple courts. And uh, this also would have been a uh, common uh, activity. Okay? So, uh, the, the idea here is that, uh, that the element of praise actually comes from the temple. All right. This is what's happening. Right. So, lo look at Hebrews now again. Uh, Hebrews uh, 11, or Hebrews 15, I'm sorry. Nope, it's Hebrews 13, 15. I'll be alright. Uh, I'll get there. I'm a little dyslexic. And I, I'm slow. So, Hebrews 13, 15, and, and uh, we looked at this text last week. Uh, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Now, uh, I'm, I'm reading the uh, New American Standard Version. And it's easy to misinterpret uh, the language here. The words sacrifice of praise uh, uh, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Uh, that language sacrifice of praise actually does not refer to the praise of lips. Those, those words actually refer to an Old Testament animal sacrifice, a thank offering, which was uh, one of the offerings that were uh, outlined by God in the beginning of Leviticus and 
could be offered when people had a special reason to give special thanks to God. So that that idea, sacrifice of praise, is really thank offering, sacrifice of thanks. Okay, it refers to an Old Testament animal sacrifice. Okay, and uh, 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 the language here is so specific that it's unavoidable uh, to draw this conclusion. Uh, to really get into it, you see, I'd have to uh, show you some Greek and I'd have to show you some Hebrew. Do we have any Hebrew scholars here? Uh, David David Mauser would help us out here with some Hebrew. Me? <laughs> no, no. Julie says no. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so you'll have to kind of take my word for that, and uh, I could verify that for you. It'd take it'd take a little bit. Uh, to do that, uh, because you have to look at the language uh, specifically. But this is the idea. And so, uh, this, this animal sacrifice, uh, what's happening is, uh, this animal sacrifice is changed into what? Fruit of lips. That's what the writer of the Hebrews is telling us. Uh, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips. He doesn't want us to continue offering up an animal sacrifice of thanks. No. He wants us to continually offer up the fruit of lips as a sacrifice. Now, there's another word in here that is key. Uh, to the text. And uh, in the New American Standard Version, it's the word continually. And uh, what, what does that mean? Well, the word continually, uh, if, if you do a, a study of it with reference uh, to uh, the whole of Scripture, uh, the word continually refers to uh, doing something over and over again morning and evening. See, the sacrifices were to be performed continually morning and evening. That's the idea. It doesn't mean continual praise every second of the day, going around singing every second of the day. It actually has a reference back to the Old Testament and the idea of morning and evening sacrifices. And in actuality... This is where this is where we get the idea of morning and evening worship. Why do we gather together morning and evening? See, it's it's the pattern that goes back to the temple: morning and evening sacrifices, gathering morning and evening for worship. All right? That's the idea. So the element, uh, interestingly enough, the element of praise comes from the temple, not from the synagogue. And uh, I'm emphasizing this because, again, uh, as we've gone through these lessons, I've been emphasizing the fact that our pattern of worship comes from the temple. Now, 
undeniable, there are some elements that come from the synagogue. Uh, uh, blessings, uh, benedictions, uh, reading scripture, uh, preaching, this sort of thing. All right? So, uh, here, here's the order of worship uh, that I've got. Call to worship. Say, what does this mean? Enter into His presence. Say, Psalm 100. We're, we're to come into the presence of the Lord. Uh, invocation. See, what does the invocation mean? Invocation is a prayer. And in Exodus 33, Moses says to God, in words similar to this, Lord, if you do not go with us, there's no reason for us to go. If you don't go with us. The special gracious presence of God going with the people. In the Old Testament, it's the glory of God in the Shekinah glory. The pillar of fire by day, or the pillar of fire by night and the cloud uh, uh, by day. And uh, uh, so when you come into uh, God's presence, uh, there's an invocation to pray, Oh God, dwell with us. See, that's the idea of the invocation. And then there's a salutation. Often, uh, you'll hear a salutation uh, given. Grace to you and peace. You're greeted. And uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, part of the construct is that God says, I will be with you. And He says, I will welcome you. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you enter into God's presence and He says, I will welcome you. And, uh, and then there's praise. What would this be? A response. A response. And then uh, there would be a, uh, perhaps a reading of God's law. Uh, the synagogue again. As we heard it, God is, is speaking to us. In praise, what are we doing? We're speaking to God. We're responding to God. God speaks to us. We hear God's law. What do we do? We confess our sins. We respond to God. And then we, we might hear from God. You'll hear James do this. I don't, I don't know if you picked up on this in uh, some of the recent worship services, but, but James has been doing it. Pastor James has been doing this. Uh, we'll, we'll hear uh, uh, the Word of God and uh, confess our sins, and then James will come back with an assurance of pardon. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And, and, and what do you do then in response? See, this would be a response again. You give praise to God. Then we might hear from God. Again, a reading of Scripture, 1 Timothy 4.13. Uh, when we get together again, we can look at some of these texts. Uh, then uh, the preaching of the Word. Uh, after uh, hearing from God again, what do we do? 
we respond to God in praise. And we bring our tithes and offerings. And then there may be a prayer. In this particular order of worship, the prayer comes later. And praise, and then a benediction. And this is all entering into God's presence and receiving from God and responding to God. There's a genius to worship. As I say, it's not willy-nilly. Alright, let's pray together. Lord, thanks for Your goodness and grace to us. We are a needy people and we thank You that You are the one who provides for all of our needs. We praise You and thank You that this is the case. Dismiss us now that we might Uh, Go into worship and uh, enjoy the pleasure of your presence in that worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.